Amen. Amen. Good morning. It is so good to see people in our sanctuary. It's good to greetings to those that are at home. We're always glad that you are here with us. I'm very excited. I was waiting till some, they got off. I, it's good to have Mike here today to carry Josh for us. As always, our, our, our worship team gets us in the mood for uh, the sermon. It, it brings uh, worship to our hearts. Y'all do a fantastic job. Uh, we want to celebrate this morning with uh, New Birth and Pastor Raymond. They had a special service this morning for his two years that he's been, a two-year anniversary, and so we celebrate with them. It was a wonderful service, so we want to lift them up. We want to continue to pray for our country, for our leaders, for our president, uh, for the COVID situation. Uh, just new things happen all the time, and so we want to be in continual prayer. But again, I want to greet those at home. I want to greet all that are here. And I'm very excited uh, that we are now kind of open um, as far as the sanctuary and that there are folks here. Um, we are continuing in our uh, series about the inequity of grace. Um, and this, this next two Sundays, we're going to have kind of a mini sub-series about all of chapter 15 uh, but before we get to that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our, our listening, would guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth. For those that are gathered here and those that are gathered at home, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bring to us uh, the, end, the message that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as I said, we're really going to look at this chapter as a whole for the next two weeks, but we're going to start with the lost sheep, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and together and, and, and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, when we talk about inequity of grace, uh, and we talk about inequity, we can see it throughout all of these stories, but we can definitely see it in, in this story. Your average sheep cost about $250, just average. There's a lot of variables, but average. So if you had timed that by 100, or it would be like $24,000. And so leaving that much, that much money to find the one would not be worth it. Or at least I thought. There's always an exception to the rule, right? And I found the exception to the rule. Chris, you want to throw that up? That sheep right there, guess how much it cost? Sold in August of 2020. $485,000. 
That's how much that sheep was sold for. Now that sheep, you might go off and look for. Uh, if you lost that sheep, you would definitely leave the regular 99 and go look for that one. But that's the exception to the rule, all right? Overall, it doesn't seem equitable that you would go to all that trouble just for one sheep. But this story is not so much about lostness, but about foundness. I don't know if foundness is a word, but it is now. Because it's really about the celebration. It is about being found. Because when something is lost, it really has no value. Right? If you don't possess it, you have no value in it at all. If you had a lottery ticket worth a million dollars and you lost it, it's not worth anything. There's no value to it. And so if something is lost or something is, is not what you thought it was, then it, it, it has no value. I remember um, a different angle on this. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Morgan, had a boyfriend in high school and turned out not to, she thought he was the, her knight in shining armor and just this great guy. Turned out he wasn't such a great guy. Um, and, and things happen in relationships. And, and she was upset and she was pining uh, her, her loss of her boyfriend. I said, well, Morgan, what you thought you had wasn't real. He wasn't what you thought he was. And so what you lost, what you lost was, was never really existed. Now, that's great logic, don't you think? It wasn't very helpful for a teenage daughter, though, so I wouldn't try that to comfort him. But the, this idea, this, when we don't have something, it has no value. And so that's why this story is really about being found. It's really about um, the people that have been lost and now they're found. The sheep, the coin, the son, the, the brother that was lost and now they're found. Not only it, does it, the original value, is it there, but it also has more value. And I don't know if God did this to me to, for an illustration this week, but it was the weirdest thing. I got here, and Lisa can vouch for this. I was sitting there talking to her, and I was messing with my hands, and my wedding ring wasn't on my finger. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, where, where is my wedding ring? And I began to think and think and think. I just, I was at, ho at the house where I stay, and that's the only place I'd been. I didn't know what it was. And then it vaguely came to me that sometime in the night, I remember pulling it off and putting it on the nightstand, which is unusual. I don't usually pull, some people pull off the rings and put them on the nightstand. But I was half asleep and I did it. And I was so kind of freaked out about it. I went home at lunch to make sure it was there. And the feeling that I had when it was there was tremendous. It was such a relief. And not only was I glad just for my wedding ring, it had a new value because it was lost. And for a second, I didn't have any idea what had happened. But now it was found. And so when we find something, it even adds to the value and the celebration. And so these stories that we're going to look at, they're really about being found. They're really about the value and, and the celebration. Because when we look 
the, the culmination of each of these stories culminates in a celebration because something that was lost is now found. And so we celebrate the foundness. And then we celebrate us. As Josh was talking during worship, as we sing, we remember that we too once was lost, but now we are found. And we continue to find ourselves in Jesus Christ, to who we were meant to be. And so this idea of foundness permeates all of our Christian walk, permeates all of our relationships in the church, and especially our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can only truly find ourselves and become who God meant for us to be in Christ. And so it is a great joy when people come to Christ, they find themselves in Christ, and they start to become who God always intended them to be. Now, there's an aspect in this, as if you read the blurb that we put out. It's about foundness, but it is also about repentance. And oftentimes when you think of these stories, you don't think about repentance, but especially the first two. The first two, it's really about a sheep or a coin that is lost, and then it's found. But Jesus makes it very clear In both situations, he adds repentance to it. So when we look at each of these stories, repentance is involved in each one. They are celebrated, so because they were lost, now they're found. And in their foundness came with repentance. It's together. In all of these stories, in the first two, Jesus says it. There's celebration when a sinner repents. So that tells repentance is part of being found. And in the story of the prodigal son, what we'll talk about next week, is we see the action, right? It carried out, the physical action, where he came to himself, he came to his senses, realized what he had done, realized what he had missed, and he physically got up, turned around, and went back to his father. And so oftentimes when you talk about chapter 15 and you talk about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, you don't get it right off the bat. But repentance is a foundational concept of us being found. We don't find ourselves in Jesus. And we, Jesus does not find us unless there is repentance. And we'll talk more about that next week. But these first two stories focus on God's actions in this process of being found. And these first two stories are about um, those that have lost something pursuing them. And that's what I want us to focus on right now, is that God pursues us. God seeks us. It's not just, it didn't just happen that at the beginning of, Bi- of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, humanity has broken their relationship with God, and now humanity is separated from God, and God said, oh, oh well, I tried. The story of Scripture, the story of the Old Testament, especially, but throughout Scripture, is a story of God seeking that which has been lost to him. God pursuing a relationship with each one of us throughout Scripture from the beginning. In the story, when they chose their will over God's will and were separated from God, 
He begins to look for him. Adam, Eve, where are you? What's going on? And then throughout Scripture, through, through the patriarchs, through the covenants, he tries to build a relationship. He tries to have the people come back into relationship through the covenants. And they can't be faithful enough. They can't be righteous enough. They rebel. They worship other gods. But God doesn't give up. He keeps looking. He keeps seeking for us to come back. And he gives them the law. He says, live in the law and you will live in relationship with me. In Deuteronomy, he tells them at the end of Deuteronomy, he says, you're getting ready to go into the promised land. Now, when you get in there and you get blessed, don't forget how you got there. Don't forget me and our relationship. And he tells them, God just comes out and tells us, because if you don't obey, if you don't live in relationship with me through the law, then you're going to find yourself worshiping other gods and idols and doing horrible things and being in a place, it's called blessings and curses. You're going to be in curses that you don't even want to be in. But if you do live within what I have given you as a relationship, then you will be blessed and you will flourish and your relationships will flourish and your relationship with God will flourish. And and. God is so in tune with who we are, with his children, his rebellious, unfaithful children. He said, here's your two options. Stay with me or, or don't stray, but he knows. So he goes, but when you do stray, when you do begin to uh, falter and worship other gods and your love fails and your faithfulness, return to me and I will return to you. And then through the prophets, when they, when they just won't do it, when they continually worship other gods, when they continually uh, are unfaithful to their God and their relationship, God finally gives them over to the consequences of their choices. That's how I like to think about judgment of the Old Testament, how I think about judgment of my on me. It's really not God smiting me. It's God handing me over to the consequences of my choices. He tells us, he says, please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't. Okay, here you go. I gave you free will. Maybe this. And then even that isn't really a judgment, isn't really a punishment. It's like, well, maybe this will wake you up and you'll come back. So even that is a pursuit Everything God does throughout Scripture is trying to get us back. Trying to find what has been lost to him. And God is constantly pursuing us. And in Jesus Christ, he gives all those that wish to an opportunity, a way back to him. And it starts with repentance. God can call us, God can seek us. God can woo us. God can do all of these things. But unless we turn from our ways that are away from God and turn back to God, say, I no longer want my will, hadn't worked out for me too, too well, never does. I choose your will. And so I die to my will and I choose Jesus Christ. And so in that moment, we become found. 
And Jesus is setting up. Remember, he's in the Gospels. He's in between death, resurrection. The full picture has not come uh, clear to them yet. And so he's setting them up. And so that's why you see in this idea of being found, repentance over and over again. Jesus is always looking and pursuing us. And he wants us to help him to, to find others, right? We need to be attentive to those in our, our circles, especially now during COVID and financial problems and other issues when there's so much hurt going on and people are beginning to wonder what's going on that we can share with them that there's a God who loves them. There's a God who's seeking them, wants a relationship with them wants to bless them and loves them more than they can ever know. God will never stop pursuing us. He might let us go a little bit, hoping we'll get back. When I was a young man, a young man, a young kid, my, uh, I lived in Indiana and I had an uncle who had a, a lake. And I was trying to think about what size it is. It wasn't a huge lake, but it wasn't a pond. It was probably, as I drove into church, it was probably about the size of our land here. There was a few little houses on it. Um, but it was just big enough that we could get in trouble by swimming across to the other side. And so my uncle would always tell us, and we were like elementary, then middle, all right, y'all stay, you can go swimming, but stay just right here. And every time, the allure of the other side called us, and we would end up on the other side of the lake. And he would come out and say, what are y'all doing? And he was upset. I don't think really, but. And every time, even though we didn't listen to him, we were disobedient. Uh, one time we found ourselves at the furthest point. He would get in his boat and come get us. And that's what God does. He's never going to leave us stranded. We're going to disobey sometimes. We're going to um, uh, choose our own way. But God's never going to stop coming to get us. God's never going to stop pursuing us. And when we think about the first two part of this chapter, then that's what we remember, God's action in our lives. We'll talk more about repentance next week when the prodigal son but just remember, God is always pursuing you. There's nothing he wouldn't do to try to find you and to bring you home. And God tells us in our scripture that there is no greater joy. There is no greater celebration in heaven than one that is lost comes home. One that is repents comes home. And that's what we remember today. As we... Um, begin to go into communion, I want us to remember a line that it says, it says, uh, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. But you know, here at Rockbridge, that's what we do every Sunday. Because y'all are here, right? So there's the sinners. Yeah. <laughs> As Paul says, the chief among us, right? 
And we welcome all sinners to come and to gather around the table and to eat with us. Because Jesus has invited us first. And so as we come into communion, let us remember that Jesus eats with us and he invites others to participate at the table. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to your table, let us be reminded of your great love, that there was nothing you would not do to get us back. There was, you would go to any extreme, even the extreme of giving your life, that we might have life, that we might have a way to return to you. Lord, you have told us throughout Scripture, return to me and I will return to you. And so, Lord, each Sunday we come and we return to you and we give ourselves more and more over to you. Lord, we ask you to bless this offering. May the message of your communion, of your Holy Supper, may it speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.